This morning we are concluding our Lenten sermon series on the prophets of ancient Israel. Today we take a look at the prophet Zechariah, reading from chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the warhorse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today is Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the cheering of the crowds and the waving of the palm branches. It's a wonderful day, a day of excitement, a day of possibilities, a day of hope. But it is also a day of fulfillment. For you see, Jesus was doing far more than just taking first century Uber into town that day. He was fulfilling a prophecy written centuries earlier in the book of Zechariah. Now Zechariah was a prophet whose ministry took place after the Jewish exiles had returned to Jerusalem after many years in Babylon only to discover that their city was a wreck and their temple a ruin. In the first eight chapters of the book, Zechariah gives great visions of hope about a, a restored Jerusalem as it returned to life around a rebuilt temple. In these visions, God himself promises to, to come back to Jerusalem and be her protector once again. Then Judah would flourish again as, as God's anger burned forth in judgment against all the nations who had plundered her. But there was also a promise about a, a royal priestly figure who would rebuild the temple of the Lord and then sit down on David's throne and rule. The last six chapters of the book are widely believed to have been written by one or more other prophets. We don't actually know when they were written, but it's long enough after Zechariah's words to reflect some disillusionment with the state of Jerusalem as things had not turned out quite the way those original visions had suggested. The temple had been rebuilt, but very little had changed. Jerusalem was still just a, a tiny fish in a violent sea of sharks, and she continued to get kicked around. What had happened to the, the, these promises that, that, that God was going to return to Zion and that, that Jerusalem would flourish again? And where was this priestly king, the son of David, who was supposed to, to rule over them? And what about their assurances that, that all their enemies were, were finally going to get what they had coming to them? Well, Jerusalem had been kicked around long enough. And if God wasn't going to do something about it, 
Well, then perhaps it was time to take matters into their own hands. Maybe the time had come for them to pick up their bows and arrows once again. Now, certainly we can all empathize with the people of Jerusalem and their desire for God to come and right all the wrongs in their world and to exact justice for all the ways that they had been mistreated, for there to be payback for all the things that had been taken away from them and for all the ways that they had been made to feel as something less than God's special chosen people. Perhaps some of you are still struggling with some of the wrongs that have been done to you in life. Maybe you are still hurting badly from something that was said or done to you many years ago, and ever since you have struggled to feel valued or loved or even lovable. Maybe some spiteful boss unfairly took away your job or some cruel person unfairly took away your reputation or your innocence. Maybe you were betrayed by someone you trusted deeply or just made to feel as something less than special. Through this, many of us carry around in our hearts some feeling of injustice over the ways that we have been mistreated in life. And so often, if, if we're honest, what we'd really like is a little payback. We want God to step in with a little divine justice and give to those who have wronged us what they deserve. And when that doesn't appear to be coming, sometimes out of our frustration, we too would like to pick up our bows and arrows and take matters into our own hands. After all, if, if God is not going to protect us, then, then we've got to defend ourselves, right? Surely, we can all understand the way the people of Judah must have felt. But then, the word of the Lord came to the people through the prophet in the ninth chapter of Zechariah, telling the people to rejoice, for at last their king was coming to them, and he would be victorious and triumphant. Well, now that was a reason to celebrate. And finally, they would have a, a mighty king once again like David who would fight for them and protect them, crushing all of their enemies and reclaiming their former glory. At last, they would have a leader who would make Israel great again. I'm sure they could already envision the scene as their king rode gloriously on the back of his mighty warhorse into Jerusalem and sat down to rule from his sparkling throne. This is what they had been waiting for. Now it would be payback for all the wrong that had been done to them and all their enemies would finally get what they had come. But then the prophet goes on, and the cheering starts to fade. For this triumphant and victorious king would come humble and riding on a donkey. Wasn't he supposed to be the mighty warrior king fighting the great battle on their behalf? 
How was he supposed to do that from the back of a donkey? Nobody rides a donkey into battle. Where's his war horse? And then it got worse. This king was going to take away all of their weapons of war. Their war horses and their chariots and their bows. Well, that just didn't make any sense. If he took away all their weapons, how would they defend themselves? And how would those who had wronged them ever pay the price? Well, this was not the kind of king they were looking for. Truth is, it's, it's not the kind of king most of us are looking for either. That's why Palm Sunday is always such a confusing day for us. For we too want to join the crowds and cheer for our king as he rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. We too want Jesus to, to bring justice into our lives and for those who have wronged us to have to face the judge and pay the piper. But like the people of Jerusalem that day, we too often miss the clues. For you see, when Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem, he was claiming to be the promised king, the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. The problem was, the people all got the victorious and triumphant part, but they forgot about the rest of the text. They missed the significance of the fact that he came humble and riding on a donkey rather than a war horse. Because Jesus came to bring not payback, but peace. But that's not what the people wanted. They wanted Jesus to march into Jerusalem and start taking names. They wanted a Messiah who would give the Romans what they had coming. They wanted a, a king who would make them feel powerful and make all their enemies pay for the years of subjugation and oppression. And so they all cheered for Jesus for a while. But as it slowly became clear that this son of David was not exactly the kind of king that they were looking for, and as Jesus rode that donkey towards the temple with no army in sight, no weapon in hand, the cheering slowly began to fade and the crowd began to disperse. And as the days went by, it became more and more evident that there was not going to be any sparkling throne at the end of this strange victory march, and as his true destination would become clear, even his own disciples would abandon him. After all, who wants a Messiah who commands peace and forgiveness rather than justice and payback? Who wants a king who insists that everyone who calls him Lord must lay down their weapons and accompany him all the way to the cross. 
So as it becomes clear that Jesus is headed towards Calvary rather than a coronation, we too begin to lag behind in the Jesus parade. After all, it's so easy to call ourselves Christians as long as there is no cross involved. That's why the the prosperity gospel is so appealing. Victory and just victory and success without a cross, without sacrifice, without surrender. That's why it'll always be so popular to be spiritual but not religious. Because then you can go down the religious buffet line and fill in the content of your own faith with whatever you want. But be very sure, no one who chooses the content of their own faith ever includes a cross in the package. And yet, the paradox of the gospel is that it is the cross itself that is the source of Christ's victory and power. I'm often struck by this fascinating scene in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation where John the seer, the author, is weeping because no one in all of creation has been found worthy to open the scroll in the right hand of God. Then one of the elders who stands before the throne of God says, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, so he is able to open the scroll. But when John turns to behold this mighty lion who had conquered, what he sees there beside the throne is the humble lamb who had been slain. For you see, it is only as the crucified lamb that Jesus is the victorious lion. Because that's the way the power of God works. Not through strength, but through weakness. Not through arrogance, but through humility. Not through striking back, but through forgiving. Not through hurting, but through healing. Not through conquering, but through surrendering. Not through killing, but through dying. Not through a sparkling throne, but through a splintery cross. And it's foolishness to the world, Paul says. But to those who are being saved. It is the power of God. And if Jesus Christ truly is our King, and if we are going to participate in His victory, then we cannot avoid the cross in our own lives. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the cross we bear always precedes the crown we wear. No cross, no crown. That's why Palm Sunday always confronts us with some difficult questions. Are we truly following this king in our lives? Or are we just tagging along in the parade as long as we can get what we want from Jesus without any real cost to ourselves? Are we only claiming allegiance to this Messiah? 
as long as we can hold on to our weapons and our own agendas without having to commit ourselves to the peaceful way of life that he commands? Are we sure that this is the kind of king we want to serve? After all, committing ourselves to King Jesus will mean giving up our grievances from the past, our obsession with our rights, and our desire to see our own vision of justice carried out. It will mean letting go of our self-righteousness and our need to blame other people for our problems. Most of all, it will mean giving up our desire to see those who had wronged us pay the price. After all, None of us can afford to pay for all the hurt and the pain we have caused one another. And none of us is innocent. As the comic strip character Pogo once said, we have met the enemy and he is us. All of us have succumbed to the power of sin in our lives. And the price that our master's sin demands of us is death. But the God who created us loves us far too much to let death have the last word. And so in order to end sin's reign in our lives once and for all, God chose to pay the price Himself. That's the staggering news of the gospel. That on the cross, Jesus Christ paid for the sins of us all. He paid for the sins of the Romans and the sins of the Jews. He paid for the, the sins of the Nazis and the sins of Al-Qaeda. He paid for the sins of the Catholic Church and the sins of the Protestant Church. He paid for the sins of the Democrats and the sins of the Republicans. He paid for the sins of our celebrities and, believe it or not, the sins of our politicians. He paid for the sins of your parents and the sins of your ex-spouse and anyone who has ever done you wrong. And he paid for the sins of Audrey Hale, the Nashville shooter. And he paid for your sins. And he paid for mine. And if we truly believe that this humble king who rides out today on this donkey is the Lamb of God who goes to fight on our behalf the battle that we couldn't win, the great battle against our true enemy of sin and death. And if we truly believe that on the cross Jesus paid on our behalf the price that none of us could afford to pay, and we would no longer need to seek payback for all the hurt in our lives because the debt has already been paid in full. It is finished. And if we truly believed that Jesus has conquered death itself and that he's inviting us to take up our crosses and follow him into eternal life, then maybe, maybe we could finally put our own weapons down once and for all 
and wave instead the palm branch of peace. After all, our King commands it.